0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of James, chapter number four, the book of James, chapter four. It's great to be here this morning, uh, gathering together with God's people, singing praises together. I hope that you've had a great morning so far. James chapter 4, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that um, uh, was a life-changing, is a life-changing passage for me. I would say it is and has been a relationship-changing passage for me. I would say it is a marriage-changing passage for me. My relationships with others, my relationship with God, uh, this passage has uh, has played a huge part in my life, and I would like to look at it this morning. It really goes back to about, uh, t- about 12 years ago, I believe it was. 12 years ago, um, I was working in the summers. Uh, before we came here and did Spread the Word, we worked at Northland Camp every summer. And uh, my wife and I were just doing a study together through the book of James. And we came to James chapter number 4, there is a question that came out of this passage that God has used. I would I would venture to say in the past 12 years, I bet there has not been a week of my life that has gone by that God hasn't used this question in my life. Um, sometimes it's once a week or, or sometimes it's multiple times a week. Sometimes it's multiple times a day. It just depends on what's going on. Um, but I want to look at this passage as James asks this question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Where does the conflicts of our life come from? He continues on, we'll read down through verse number six here. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Not a new paragraph. Notice verse number four. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now, folks, I'm going to try my best to explain these first five verses. If I can do so adequately, I just want you to know that verse number six is an absolute breath of fresh air, if you understand the first five verses. He says in verse number six, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Where does our conflict come from? Now let's uh, categorize conflict for just a minute. Um, uh, some people just explode. Uh, you know, uh, some people are like Old Faithful out in Yellowstone National Park. Every fifty-three minutes, here she blows. You ever meet some people like that? That's just kind of how they handle conflict. Um, other people are just kind of the slow summer. I personally, I think I can explode, but I don't normally explode. I'm just a little bit of a slow summer. I'll just look at you and smile. I may be really ticked off, but you wouldn't know it. I just look at you and smile. I'm just thinking how, you know, I'm just thinking of how I'm going to take you out tomorrow. Um, but it's still there. Conflict. Sometimes nobody knows. It's just in your own, it's just in your own heart. It may not even be, um, in the midst of, 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 of just struggle between two people. It's just the conflict that rises in your heart as you're you're working through relational things, as you're working through your own stuff and you just feel this conflict in your own heart and in your own soul. And James is asking, this war that's going on inside of your heart, where does it come from? You know, I haven't done near as much Counseling as other people, um, I don't do as much counseling as as a you know a Christian counselor. I don't do as much counseling as a lot of pastors do. I've done I've done my fair share, um, especially in the midst of interpersonal conflict counseling. Um, but it's it's pretty amazing as you do counseling, um, as you start to get involved in people's situations and you're finding out things and you're really trying to get to the the heart of the matter. You're trying to get to the source. You're trying to get to the bottom of things. And you can say, you can ask some simple questions to party number, you know, party A. From your perspective, would you please help me understand in the midst of this conflict, what in the midst of this conflict, what seems to be the problem? And party A will say, well, I'll tell you what the problem is. He's the problem. And then you can let them explain what they mean by that. And you can come to party B and you can say, well, from your perspective, what would you say the problem is? I'll tell you what the problem is. They're the problem. It is so a part of human nature that the problem is where? It is outside of us. Everything about James chapter 4 is screaming, oh, no, no, no. The source of our conflict is inside of us. You know, I wonder who, maybe in your life, is the the hardest person for you to have to deal with right now on a regular basis? Maybe someone at home, someone at work, someone at church. What is the source of our conflict? And I want us to look at some words here. I'm, gonna, I'm actually gonna talk about some Greek words. I normally don't throw out Greek words because uh, it's, uh, it's Greek to most folks. Um, but these words, uh, actually, you, you'll, you'll recognize a little bit. Let's look, um, as we're, as we're looking at verse number one. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You say the word pa- passions? It's the Greek word hedon, or it comes from the Greek word hedon. It's, uh, um, it's, uh, where we get our word, uh, hedonist. Hedonism, Um, throughout history, uh, the the context of of hedonism or a hedonist has always been negative. It's talking about a person who lives chasing after their pleasures, their passions, to find fulfillment in those. Um, uh, It's never had a good context um really the word he done and that's the word that's translated here your passions so he says isn't it this that that we have passions we have we have things we're after that are at war within us isn't this where the conflict comes from look as he continues on verse number 2 he says this he says you um you desire and cannot have if you're looking at the NASB, i think it says the word you lust uh, it, this is a Greek word you, you wouldn't recognize. It's um, epithemeo. And it's it's a word that many times is translated lust. It's not talking about a, a sensual, sexual lust per se. It's talking about you have strong desires. This word most of the time is negative, but not always. This is even, Christ even used this of himself. Uh, and I, I think it was Luke um, Jesus says, I desire earnestly to have the Passover with you before I suffer. He said to his disciples, same word, I desire earnestly. There is, a, there is a depth to this type of desire. It's not a shallow desire. It is a deep desire. Here, there's no doubt it's used in a negative way as he says, what causes conflict between us? Isn't it this, these passions that are at war? Isn't it this, that we have these deep desires? Look, as he continues on in verse number two, he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see the word covet? It's the word where it's, it's the word, it comes from the word zealous. It's where we have our, our word zeal to be zealous about something. Obviously this word many times is used in a, in a good way. God says in Titus chapter number two, the Bible tells us that, that, that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to, to purify us and to make for himself a special people who are zealous of good works. So this word in and of itself is, 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 is a good word, but here, once again, it's, it's, it's given to us in a negative way because he says isn't this why you get so upset that you're zealous about something you have i mean it's translated here in the in the esv you covet um other other places you find you find once again the word desire you have something you want the word zealous has always carried with it the idea of being heated up you you're so you're so passionate about something you get heated up for it now if we've been if we've been saved and chosen and set apart for his glory to be a special people who are zealous unto good works that's a good thing if we are zealous for his glory but i got a question have you ever have you ever wanted something so bad that you got a little heated up in order to get it where does our conflict come from? And he gives us these words and he gives us these pictures. So I'm sitting with my wife. We're uh, sitting up at Northland in our, in our trailer um, and we're having our little Bible study together through the book of James. And, um, and I'm sitting there with her and I, I said to Steph, I said, Steph, you know what? When we have struggles... When we have tension between us, according to James chapter four, it's because we want something and we're not getting what we want. You see, listen, it says it two times in verse number two. Look at it. It says, you desire, and uh uh-oh, look at this, and do not have. You didn't get it. So you murder. You say, wait a second, that's kind of extreme. Well, if looks could kill, some of us would be murderers, right? You covet, and here it is again, and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. So here's what's going on. We have something we want. We're not getting what we want. And so we start sinning against the people that I love more than anybody else on the face of this planet. in order to get what I want. So the question that came out of this passage and God has used in my life, because I'm telling you, he uses it all the time. Aaron Coffey, what do you want right now? Um, I'm just sitting with Steph. I said, baby, I, I, I got an illustration. Um, uh, you think of one. So uh, we were working at camp. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Northland, uh, Baptist Bible College back in the day, um, Northern University, and now uh, the camp, I think, is still, is still rolling, but we worked there for 13 summers. And uh, there, uh, there, was, there was lakes everywhere on the property. There was actually five different lakes either on the property or right beside the property that I had permission to fish on. I love to fish. Um, but I mean, just camp-like, man, you're just going from early in the morning to late at night. Matter of fact, I parked right beside Camp Lake. I could look out and see Camp Lake It was full of fish, but camp life—you don't have time to fish. And I would—I would ride my bike past Camp Lake over and over and over again. I had a little little motorcycle that I would ride around on camp on campus with all summer, and I never had time to fish until until the weekend, man. On when on Saturday the 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 campers would leave and we would clean camp, we'd get it ready for sun for uh, Monday morning. And, and from noon on Saturday until 10 o'clock on Monday morning, we were free. We had no responsibilities. Guess what I loved to do on Sunday, on, on Saturday afternoon after everything was done? Guess what I loved to do? I loved to go fishing. Guess what my wife loved to do? Something other than fishing. So you know what there would be? There would be conflict. And it was usually much more on my part than on hers. But you know what I would do? I mean, once again, I, I, personally, I'm not a, like a fighter. I'm not a, I'm not a screamer. I'm just a manipulator. I'm a guilter. I'd, I'd cut in early before she had a chance to start making sure that she knew what my plans were for Saturday and who I was doing it with. If I brought somebody else along, then obviously I couldn't disappoint them. I'd guilt my wife in order to get what I wanted. You ever done that? There'd be tension. That's because I wanted something. I said, you got an illustration? She said, yeah. She said, you know, just yesterday, Asher was just a little guy at the time. Uh, it was 12 years ago. I guess he would have been too. He's 14. She, uh, I'm, I'm good at math. I'm pretty good at that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he, he's just a little guy. And um, she said, just yesterday, I got so mad at him. She said, he had this little toy sword. This little, it was foam, but then the end of it had gotten cut off and had so this little pokey thing at the end, but he was, he was going along and he's poking the couch and he's hitting pillows and he's, she said, everything was fine until all of a sudden he poked it in the wrong place. She said, he poked it right into the vent. It went right into the vent on my dishwasher. She said, I just snapped. She said, I grabbed it from him. I took his little hand, I popped it. She said, he just obviously, he fell apart. She said, I, I'd never told him he couldn't do that before. You know, immediately she said, "I felt bad." I mean, not that you shouldn't teach your kids where to or where not to, but she had never told him, and so he doesn't know the difference between a pillow and this. And so she said, "I picked him up, and he was crying, and I was telling him I was sorry for getting angry." She said, "I just looked back, and what did I want?" She said, "It's not like I had this love affair with this piece of plastic and metal that is my my dishwasher." She said, "You know what, Aaron?" And and I'm telling you, she, she nailed it. She went she went so to the core of what this whole passage is about. She said, "Aaron, I have." an idol of convenience. And he threatened it. And I got angry. She said, that dishwasher saves me hours. Um, I mean, I could go on. I got so many illustrations. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm the best illustration I've got of all this. So uh, I want to do supper for my family. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm cooking on the grill. I'm, uh, we're at my parents' house. I'm using dad's grill. It's not working. I didn't have the ingredients I need for my marinade. The grill's not slow. It's not getting hot enough. I'm picky. I, I want to be a blessing to my family. And it's just not getting hot enough. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm irritated, but I'm not letting anybody know, you know, I'm just smiling and grinning my way through everything, but I want to be a blessing. It's got to be just right. I'm picky. You know, I like it nice and done on the outside. And when you cut into the middle, it still kind of goes, Moo, you know, on the inside. I mean, that's how I like my meat. I'm picky about it. Right. Finally, I get it ready. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, Steph and mom and, and my sister, they're inside. They're getting, we got all the family together and they're, they're getting a salad and potatoes and all this stuff. I come in, I got it all wrapped up. I come in, I want to be a blessing. It's ready. I come in. Everybody come to the table. The meat's ready. You know what I hear from the kitchen? Hey, put it on the table. Uh, the potatoes aren't ready. We'll be in in a few minutes. Folks, now listen just a second. The meat's ready. You know what I'm saying? I mean, potato, schmotato, we don't care anymore, right? You don't go to a potato house and there's, and there's meat on the side. No, no, no. You go to a steakhouse and the potatoes on the side. And I don't say a word, you know. I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'm just, I'm just pacing back and forth while they're in there just talk, 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 talk. I want this to be a blessing. They finally mosey on in around the table. My dad prays for every missionary we've ever known, you know. <laughs> finally... I'm cutting the meat. It's just not as hot as it was 10 minutes ago. I want to be a blessing, right? I did. I really did. But somehow, some way, somewhere in there, I promise you folks, as irritated was as I was in my heart, nobody else knows. I'm telling you, this had, this had Aaron coffee written all over it. Can, can I dig a little deeper? You don't know what the deal was? You know what kind of meat it was? I, I teased about the moo. Now, this was, this was venison. I killed it. My parents are just kind of so, so on venison. You know why? It's because they don't know how to cook it. I gotta, I gotta prove to them this is worthy meat. I gotta prove to them I have a worthy pastime. This had Aaron coffee written all over it. What do you want? Our passions are at war within us. It's why there's conflict that arises. And I want to skip to verse number four. And I'll come back, but I want to skip to verse number four. And I want you to see the turn that James takes, because I don't know what else to say. It just is, it's like, come on, James, you're getting a little dirty on us. Verse number four, same paragraph, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Folks, in what sense does he use the word, you adulterous people? I mean, it's like, you know, is he changing paragraphs? Is this new paragraph? He's changing thoughts. He was talking about conflict in the midst of our relationships. Now he's going to talk about adultery. No, same context. What he is saying is that, is that our passions that are so out of control, we prove it in the midst of our relationships. We prove it in the midst of our inner irritations and frustrations and anger. That that are that passions that drive that. He says, don't you see that this, if I could use this terminology, that this love affair with the things of this world are putting you at enmity with God. You adulterous people. What is the sense in which he uses the word adultery? He's talking about the same ways as, as he uses it throughout scripture. All through the Old Testament, this picture of adultery, spiritual adultery. He's talking about idolatry, idolatry in their heart. Matter of fact, God gives an entire book of the Bible to this picture, right? The book of Hosea. I mean, here's here's the story of Hosea. He's a he's a prophet. He's a he's a public man. He's in he's like a. You know, an Old Testament preacher, if you would. The people know him. And God tells Hosea, I want you to take yourself a wife. She's going to be unfaithful to you. She's going to run around on you. She's going to cheat on you. She's going to have children with, with other men. And Your marriage to her is going to be a picture to my people of their spiritual adultery and how that they are running around with other gods. That is the sense in which he uses this. And what he is saying, he is saying that this love affair that you have, Aaron Coffey, with your pastimes of fishing and hunting, your love affair that you have with your with the conveniences of this life. You don't think you love them, you let somebody threaten them. Listen listen to what it says next. Look at verse number five. Verse number five says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, there's, this is a hard verse and there's a couple little ways that we can take this, but I think the overall picture of it to me is so, so clear. He brings up the jealousy of God. He brings up the fact that God said, I am a jealous God. At one point, God even says, my name is Jealous. And he brings this up, and this isn 't a direct quote, I believe this is a testimony of what we find throughout the Old Testament that we have a God who is jealous for our affections. and what he is saying is that the the, the way we struggled in the midst of our of our passions, in the midst of our pastimes and in the midst of our pleasures and in the midst of our conveniences and in the midst of our In the midst of our lives, the way we have these inward struggles, they are nothing more than a a window to show us really what's deep in our hearts of what we really and truthfully love and love most of all. And here's how I think we're supposed to take verse number six. God is saying, how come you don't love me with that kind of passion? Folks, we know how to be passionate. We know how to love things. God is saying, how come you don't love me with that kind of passion? This is how we are to take this passage of scripture. And the truth of the matter is the way that our irritations and our frustrations and even our anger and the way we hold grudges Someone threatened our reputation. Someone um, took something from us that we held dear. The next thing you know, we are struggling in our hearts. Our passions are at war within us. And my friend, if we understand exactly what's going on in these first five verses, I said this a few moments ago. I really believe that verse number six is an absolute breath of fresh air to us. Because I want you to see how God responds in the midst of our struggles. Verse number six, it says, but he gives more. Grace. In the midst of our sin, our sin abounds, but his grace abounds more. Aren't you thankful that his mercy is more? It continues on, says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, um, I'm so thankful that no matter how deep the rabbit hole of my heart, and it's like I, I, I think we, I think I've barely scratched the surface of how deep it goes. But no matter how much I unearth as I continue on in my life to see the depths of my heart and how how I I so lean towards my own way and my own things. And there's such passions in my heart that are out of order. That no matter how deep it goes, his grace is sufficient and his mercy is more. Can I, can I give you a beautiful story of grace? Can we go back to the book of Hosea? The book of Hosea, can I, uh, can I tell you where Hosea's wife ended up? In that culture, because she had so um, become such an adulteress, people know it's not hidden. These children that she has had outside of her marriage with other men, Hosea's wife actually finds herself in that culture nothing more than a than a than, than a than a slave. She's. She's in the slave quarters at the slave block waiting to be sold. In the book of Hosea, do you know what God tells Hosea to do? He says, Hosea, I want you to go down to the slave quarters. And with your own money, I want you to purchase your wife. And I want you to bring her back, but don't make her your slave you bring her back and you make her your wife once again. Folks, that is exactly what our God does. In the midst of our wondering, in the midst of our idolatrous hearts, we have a God whose mercy is more. We have a God whose grace is sufficient. We have a God whose grace is greater. And he continues and continues and continues to bring us back. You know, how is it that we are to respond? You know, I, I, I won't take the time to go all the way through the rest of the passage, but really it continues down through verse number 10. And I believe he gives us just, um, I, I think one of the most beautiful passages there is about repentance. Repent. Repent. Turn back, listen to what it says. Well, verse number six, it says, he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there is a contingency that the text puts on the grace of God. It's to those who are humble. What does it look like to be proud? Is to say, well, no, I'm still gonna keep saying it's their fault. I'm gonna keep pointing outside of me as to why there's tensions. I'm gonna keep pointing outside of me as to why there's conflict. He says that his grace comes to those who are humble. And actually what comes to those who are proud is actually his resistance. I don't know about you folks, I don't want his resistance. And then he continues on. You know, we talk about repentance as turning, a turning to God, turning away from our sin and turning to him. Look at what it says, verse number seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I think one of the best passages you're gonna find of what repentance looks like, the submission of the heart, saying, God, you are the one who is worthy. You are the one who is king, not me. Uh, A declaration of your allegiance it says if you if you resist satan he will flee from you if you draw nigh to god he will draw nigh to you the depth level of not just dealing with the surface cleanse your hands ye sinners that's saying hey sorry i got so irritated no get to the heart of it why are we so irritated Don't just cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts because at the core, we're double-minded. The word double-minded means that that, that, that we're split in our devotion. Sure, we want to be a part of God and, and what he's got going on, but I really want to make sure I look out for myself too. We're split in our devotion because we're double-minded. He says, cleanse your hands, sure, but purify your hearts. And then this attitude of brokenness over our sin as we come to God. Um, folks, may God continue to do his work in us. May he continue to help us live for what we were created for. We were created to live for him and his glory. But so many times we have our own kingdoms that we are so invested in. And we so look out for. We have our passions. We have our pleasures. We have our possessions. We have our prestige. We have all of these things that we protect. And when people mess with them, we get irritated. We get, we struggle. Folks, we need God. We need his grace. And his grace comes to those who are humble. You know, one of the things that I think is, uh, well, one of the interpretive challenges of the book of Hosea is, it really sounds like, and I really believe, I mean, I tend towards this being the case, it really sounds like he doesn't say, hey, take to yourself this bride, but just so you know, I know she is a a good, pure, chaste bride now, but she's going to turn. He says take to yourself a wife of harlotry. And the reason why that's a struggle is because God has told us not to be an equally yoked together with someone who is would be an unbeliever and and basically, you know, it's it's is God telling him to take to himself a wife who who already is a harlot. Um and it's a struggle, but the whole picture of Hosea is pointing towards God And his love and faithfulness. The the book of Hosea actually isn't about the unfaithfulness of the people. It's actually a book about the faithfulness of God. And who is it that he has taken to himself? Did he look at Israel and say, boy, there's one that's worthy? Come New Testament now, does he look at you and say, wow, look, I'm going to choose that one. That one's worthy. Looks, he knows our hearts so tend to struggle. He knows we are so prone to wonder and so prone to leave the God we love. So we come to him and we say, God, I need your grace. God, would you take me? Would you hold on to me? Would you keep me for your glory? Because that's why I was created. Folks, may we be broken as needed over how badly our hearts wander. And may we come to him, turning to him, submitting to him, humbling ourselves before him. Not just cleansing our hands, but purifying our hearts. Folks, um, this is where the conflict comes from in our relationships. But at the same time, it's a window into our souls to see really what's going on in our deeper relationship, our relationship between us and God. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, we do need you so desperately. We know that we struggle. Lord, we prove it all the time. It shows up in so many different ways. It shows up in our relationships. It shows up in our just in our own hearts as the tensions arise. Lord, we need you. We need you to constantly be exposing the things that we love more than we love you, the things that we are more dedicated than we are dedicated to you, the things that we live for. God, we do pray that you will, in your mercy and in your grace, Lord, would you hold us? Would you keep us? Would you help us to live for what we were created to live for? Lord, we were created to live for your glory because you are worthy of our affections. So may we love you and may we live for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.